Today we're at the end of chapter 9. Uh, chapter 9, the Lord and his followers. This was Jesus turning his attention, focusing on his disciples and his followers. And, and this really intensive time with just pouring into them. And we, these messages, these passages we've been through this, these past couple weeks were just, just classic texts, just filled with just basic Christianity, just, just these amazing, intense messages. And if you remember, if you remember all the way back at the beginning, Luke, Jesus says his mission statement. He says like what his purpose is, if you remember. He says, I have come to preach the good news of the kingdom. That's his purpose. That's why I've come. That's his purpose statement. He says, I've come to preach the good news of the kingdom. And we have continually seen in Luke that this kingdom doesn't work like any other kingdom. This is not any, like, unlike any other worldly kingdom. This doesn't value what our, the normal kingdom does. It doesn't prioritize what er, earthly kingdoms do. It doesn't uh, accomplish its goals the way most kingdoms do. This is no ordinary kingdom. And what we're going to see this morning as we dive into our text is this. No TNT allowed in the kingdom. No TNT allowed in the kingdom. Look at your neighbor and say, no TNT in the kingdom. Now, we're not talking about the literal explosive this morning, but we are talking about something so damaging. So damaging. What is TNT, you say? Well, let's dive in and figure this out as we go along. So turn in your Bibles to Luke chapter 9, at the very end of chapter 9, starting at verse 46. And oh boy, this starts out just so good. (laughs) Starting at verse 46. An argument arose among them as to which one of them was the greatest. Okay, already, just stop. This, you know, you don't have to be a Christian very long to realize this something's a little bit off here. I mean, my goodness. And if you remember last week and uh, what Luke puts before this, it, it's Jesus telling the disciples, you know, the Son of Man is going to be betrayed in the hands of men and suffer. And the disciples are like, whoa, what does that mean? That's crazy. And the very next thing, they're arguing about who's the goat? Who's the greatest of all time? I mean, you, you, we never want to read our Bible with like, I call it arrogant shoes, prideful shoes. You never want to read the Bible and say, oh, if I were in their shoes, I would never do that. You know, that, that's thinking way too much of ourselves. But, but boy, the disciples test that, right? So right out of the gate, an argument arose among them as to which one of them was the greatest. But Jesus, knowing the reasoning of their hearts, who among us wants a teacher or a boss or a spouse that can read our mind? Nope. Nope, that's just got to be painful sometimes. And usually in the Gospels, if Jesus is discerning one's thoughts, it generally doesn't work out too good for that person. So, uh, knowing the reason of their hearts, took a child, put him by his side, and said to them, Whoever receives this child in my name receives me, and whoever receives me receives him who sent me. For he who is the least among you is the greatest. He who is the least among you is the greatest. Now, this teaching on what true greatness is, is repeated over and over throughout the Gospels and Jesus' ministries. This is something that the disciples really struggled to get, kind of how do we figure out this thing about greatness and power and there's a kingdom and position and status. So they struggle with this. So you see this over and over in different ways and different exchanges in the Gospels. And Jesus is continually trying to drive this point home with them. Like, guys, we're not, we're not doing things the way the world does it. We're not doing the way this, this thing the way other kingdoms do it. This kingdom doesn't operate like that as far as greatness and position and power and hierarchy and status. We're not doing it like that, guys. And there in your notes, the first T in TNT 
is tears, T-I-E-R-S. Now, there is no T-E-A-R-S when Jesus comes again and all things are new. That's true. But this morning, speaking of of TNT, we're talking about T-I-E-R-S, positions, power, status. This kingdom doesn't work the same way. But man, don't we all love some tears, T-I-E-R-S? I love, we love some tears, and marketers know this about us. Man, we love some tears and some advancements and upgrades and silver status and gold status. In fact, ladies and gentlemen, two things I want you to know about me. First, I am married. I was kayaking a few weeks ago, and my, middle, my, my ring finger has swollen. I can't get my wedding ring back on. So there you go. I just feel so weird up here without that. My wife wanted me to tell you that this morning. So, <laughs> so second thing you may not know about me, Ladies and gentlemen, you are looking at, and you can show them this picture of the movie picture. You're staring at an AMC Stubbs Premier Club member. <laughs> yeah. I, I, unlike the commoners who will weave their way through that purgatory there to the left, or, yeah, to the left, I will be in that gold strap line. I will get my popcorn three minutes before any of the, the laymen. So wave at me. I will wave back from my lofty perch in the premier line. So we love tears. We love tears. And in, but in this kingdom, in this kingdom, it doesn't work like that. The tears don't work the same. Scrap the org chart. Shred the leadership pyramid. Jesus is saying, we're doing things a little different in this kingdom. We're not organized around greatness and power and status. Classic text out of Mark 10, 45. Mark 10, 45. Don't turn there. It's on the screen there. But Mark 10, 45. Similar conversation Jesus is having with the disciples. Mark 10, 45. You know that those who are considered rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them and their great ones exercise authority over them. In short, you know that the rest of the world, the kingdoms, the organizational charts, it's about power and lording it over people. Power play. Christianity is not a power play. If you look back through history, that doesn't turn out too well when Christianity tries to be a power play according to the world's ideas of power. But continuing on, but it shall not be so among you. Whoever would be great among you must be your servant, and whoever would be first among you must be slave of all. That's the kingdom. Here's the king. For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. This kingdom is unlike any other kingdom because this king is unlike any other king. And there in your notes, this might, is probably a new thought for you. This king is a condescending king. Now that sounds a little strange, I know, because when we think condescending, we think, man, I don't like anybody being condescending to me. If my child is condescending to me, I'm going to jerk a knot in their tail, as mom used to say. We don't like condescending. Well, the original meaning, the first meaning of condescending wasn't what we attached to it at all. It wasn't patronizing and haughtiness. The original meaning of condescending, you got con, which is together or with, and descending, which is lower. It literally meant lowering to be with. So condescending originally was this idea to leave one's place of prominence. To, uh, to, to descend to a less formal or dignified level. It was the king coming down from the castle to eat with the commoners, condescending. Now, humble is a good word, too. We often hear this word humble, and that's a good word, but, but humble can, can be reality. Humble can be just how things are if you're of humble means. 
like, like it's me on a basketball court. I am a man of humble means. I am 5'9", five 5'10", five in good shoes. I'm slow. I have a 12-inch vertical and vision like a rhinoceros. I don't have to humble myself. I am humble on a basketball court. That's just how it is. But condescending is leaving one's place of prominence or status to lower themselves, to come be with those who aren't that. Our God condescends and always has. Uh, Amazing book on the Trinity by a guy named Michael Reeves, Delighting in the Trinity. And in the early chapters of this book, uh, he says this, imagine for a moment that you're God. I'm sure you've done it before. That's funny. Now think, would you and your divine wisdom and power ever want to create a universe? And if so, why? Because you feel lonely? Because you want some friends? Because you like being pampered and want some servants? It's one of the profoundest questions to ask. If there is a God, why is there anything else? Why the universe? Why us? Why might God decide to have a creation? And the answer he goes on to unpack throughout the book is, is really quite simple. God wants to. He doesn't need to. He needs nothing. In eternity past, he was completely sufficient and fine within himself, needed nothing. But out of his loving, gracious, self-giving, self-deferring nature, he wanted others to enjoy himself. And so he wanted someone else and something else. He wanted creation, didn't need it, wanted it. And we see this all throughout the Bible, not just creation. Think about just even like a place like Genesis 2. God says, you know what, humankind, I want you to cultivate and reign and rule the earth with me. He doesn't need us to do that. He could totally do that on his own. But he wants image bearers doing that with him condescending. Think about Israel, Israel's long track record. My goodness, like a broken record, God is constantly condescending and offering grace and mercy and resets and reboots and, and new, new grace as they blow it over and over again, of course. But the prime example, of course, of this, of the condescension of God is, of course, Jesus. As J.I. Packer says, every other doctrine of Christ is relatively easy compared to the incarnation, compared to the stumbling block that God takes on flesh, that God condescends to jump into space and time of creation with two feet, two human feet, specifically two chubby baby feet. That is mind-blowing. Everything after that is easy, Packer, and I think he's got a point. Once you just wrap your mind around why a God would condescend to come into the flesh, he wants to, and he has a purpose and a plan for redeeming creation. Jesus flips greatness on its head. It flips the tears of the world on its head. Our king said he came not to be served, but to serve and give his life as a ransom for many. Jesus is our king who condescends. There's no tears in the kingdom, no T-I-E-R-S. And in your outline, the second letter there. No networking in the kingdom of God. Now, what do I mean by that? Let me, uh, no networking. Now, this is not to paint networking as this prime evil. I mean, networking is a good thing, right, in, in, in some situations. I mean, we, you know, sometimes you have to network to, to get a job. You know, we tell college students, you know, coming out of college, make sure, you know, you need to get out there and network and make some connections. That kind of gets at the idea, though, what I'm speaking out of this morning. The, uh, the, 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 I Googled it. The, the, the definition, I, a common definition of networking is this. Net, networking is when you interact with a group of colleagues, peers, or professionals in order to create relationships, connections, and opportunities, and here's the, the important part, that are advantageous for you 
and your future. That's not how the kingdom evaluates people. The kingdom doesn't look at people as opportunities for my good, for our good. The kingdom sees people differently. The gospel changes how we evaluate people, right? Because the gospel changes how we evaluate ourselves. Because we know why the gospel is such good news for us. This is an amazing picture in this text. Jesus stands this child up next to him, this little child up next to himself. And, uh, you know, here's the important thing to remember. In, in that culture at that time, uh, children, children weren't viewed exactly the same way as our time. I think that's pretty obvious. 2,000 years separate us. But in that day and age, they, they weren't quite as child-centric as we are. Uh, not to say they didn't love their kids, but it's just, it's just different. You know, the, the, the comedian, there's the comedian who says, you know, if, if aliens came down and observed most, most parents for a while, they'd say, wow, the, the big human beings keep dressing and, and paying for stuff for the little ones and changing their diapers and feeding them and tucking them to bed and driving them all over creation for activities. I think the little ones are the rulers. That's I mean, <laughs> You know, so this day and age, in, in this culture, they weren't quite as child-centric because uh, they're really viewed as kind of the, one of the lowest tier of society. They didn't have much to contribute in that society. So it's so poignant when over and over in the Gospels, Jesus stands this child up next to himself and says, look, here's the key, guys. Here's the concept of the kingdom. And just think about that. Here's Jesus, the Logos, the second person of the Trinity, the creator and sustainer of all creation, standing there who needs nothing, who can give everything and will, standing next to this child who needs everything and can contribute nothing. And he's pointing to him and saying, this is how the kingdom works. This is the concept of the kingdom we're establishing here. Lest we forget the gospel, you and I came into the kingdom with nothing to bring, needing everything, right? And that's how this kingdom operates and how we minister in this kingdom. This kingdom doesn't evaluate people like the world does. I don't know how many of you were at Evensong on Wednesday night. Uh, Evensong is just a special service we do um, uh, it's song, it's scripture, it's prayer, and it's story, and uh, it's just a unique time together. And this past Wednesday night, we had a young man uh, share his story, and uh, I haven't been able to stop thinking about it. <laughs> My kids were on the front row, and they were just like, their eyes were wide as saucers at this guy and his story. And, you know, young guy, I don't even think he was, probably wasn't even 30, a uh, young man named Dylan, and he told the story, his whole family goes to jail. And by whole family, I mean him, his father, his, his sister, and his mother all go to jail, drugs. He tells a story of being strung out on drugs for so long, overdosing a couple dozen times. As he's talking, it's easy. You can probably see all over this auditorium. He had deep scars on his face where he'd been stabbed over eight times in his face and neck. The last of which he ends up lying in the back of an ambulance just about an inch from bleeding out, thinking, this is it, I'm going to die. And yet here he is telling his story to Fellowship Bible Church on a Wednesday night. And from my vantage point, <laughs> from my vantage point, I can see his Bible. He's going from the Old Testament to the New Testament. He starts preaching. And uh, you see his Bible, these worn pages. And man, those pages were, were lit up like Las Vegas at night with highlights and circles and underlines. And that guy sits here telling his story, free in Christ, Amen. growing like a spiritual weed. That's no ordinary kingdom, right? That guy hits the lowest 
tier of society, right? And here he sets free a new man. No ordinary kingdom. No ordinary kingdom. Jesus, who lays down his life as a ransom for sinners, sinners who bring nothing to the table. That's how this kingdom works, because that's how our king works. But we're just getting at the good part. Read on with me. Verse 49. Now, quick, quick thought here. Um, a lot of your Bible versions probably have a break between 48 and 49 and maybe have a little heading there. You know, those headings, just, you know, whether you've been a Christian five minutes or 50 years, sometimes it's just good to remember this. Those headings are by Bible translators and they're very helpful. They're organizing information and giving summaries of sections. Sometimes they're a little not helpful when they break up something they shouldn't. And that's kind of a little bit of the case here. So some of your versions, you might even have it broken up and then it says, John said to Jesus or, and John told Jesus or something like that. The, the, The best take on this is, and John responded to Jesus. In the original language, these two things are butted together. It's, it's one conversation. Jesus finishes saying that about the children. And John responds to Jesus saying that. Really key. We'll see here in a minute. Verse 49. John answered, Master, we saw someone casting out demons in your name. And we tried to stop him because he does not follow with us. But Jesus said to him, do not Stop him, for the one who is not against you is for you. Now, two quick observations. First one's kind of speculation, but I think it's intelligent speculation, I would hope. Since this is all one conversation, I just have to ask the question, were, were, they, were they arguing about greatness? Who was the greatest among them so that they could maybe figure out a way to stop this person? Is that the nature of the argument? Hey, guys, let's figure out who's the best among us because we got to go stop this rogue disciple, this rogue exorcist. Hmm. Second observation, they tried, but they couldn't do it. That's really interesting. They tried. This guy wasn't in their circle, not in their crew, not, in, not traveling with them, not in their squad. Therefore, they figured, well, he's got to stop. We need to stop him. Hmm. But Jesus' wordings to the disciples is really definitive. You guys are the ones who need to stop, he tells them. The language is really strong there. It's this this idea, I forbid this. I forbid you doing this. The last T in your notes. We talked about tears. We talked about networking. Last T, there is no tribalism in the kingdom of God. There is no tribalism allowed in the kingdom of God. Please let me define that. I am not speaking as in tribe, as in tribe, tongue, and nation. Not talking about ethnicity or nationality or race. My goodness, I don't see many, if any, Middle Eastern Jewish people in here. So we are all grateful for the gospel that says that every tribe and tongue and nation will be extended the gospel of grace. That is a good thing for all of us in here. We made it by grace through faith. And as as John saw in Revelation, it's every tribe and tongue and nation worshiping Jesus at the end of all things. So we're thankful for that. Not the kind of tribe I'm talking about, though. Tribalism in the kingdom of God. It's divisions of attitudes, actions, thoughts, prejudices, words that cast a brother or sister in Christ as the other. As the other. As the opponent. 
carried out to his fullest as an enemy to be thwarted, to be subdued, to be stopped. Now, we all know we live in an age of outrage and hot takes and and tribalism is is all over the place. We're just in a, a weird, toxic time. But this morning, we're just talking about tribalism in the kingdom, tribalism in the church. We're not immune to it, obviously, because the church is just, is just justified sin. It's, as Luther said, simultaneously justified and sinful. So we're not immune to this. We're just talking about tribalism and divisions in the church this morning. And I don't know fully why the, all this is going on in this particular moment. There's probably a lot of reasons, probably a lot of toxins that are poisoning the well right now in our little slice of the world. But at the end of the day, at the end of the day, it's just sin. It's just sin. As John Piper, I love this definition he gave one time of sin. Sin is the soul curved in on itself. The soul curved in on itself. Self-righteous, self-sufficient, self-centered, self-centered. The soul curved in on itself. And here's what happens. The soul curved in on itself sees itself as the ideal. We want people that think like ourselves. We want people that look like ourselves. We want people that worship like ourselves, that practice like ourselves, that work like ourselves, that believe a thousand points out of a thousand points of doctrine like ourselves. The soul curved in ourselves. And this, anything outside that circle, anything outside our tribe, becomes an opponent to be stopped when this is carried out to its fullest. The body of the Christ, the church from day one, though, has been about diversity in unity, diversity in non-essentials around unity and essentials from day one. Tribalism doesn't want diversity and unity. It wants unity and homogeneity. It wants everything to look and act and be like me. Tribalism doesn't seek to recognize diversity. It wants to demonize it. And that's sin. It's friendly fire in the eternal family of God. It's Christian cannibalism. We're literally eating our own over non-essentials. Now look, I think we all know this. I hope this will be apparent. I hope I can explain this well. And this is a reality in some parts of the world. If armed guards came rushing in here with guns, held a gun to our head, there's a lot of beliefs we wouldn't die for. What do I mean by that? I'll, I'll pick an extreme example. Melchizedek. Was he pre-incarnate Christ or just a king, local king? I'm not, I, I think I, probably he was a local king, but, but if armed guards come in there and hold a gun to my head, I'm like, whatever you think. I'm good either way. <laughs> Maybe it was pre, probably a theophany. I can go with that, sure. Now that's an extreme, easy example. But, but there's a lot of non-essentials. Just keep thinking about it. Age of the earth, end times, how to govern a church. There's a lot of things like uh, we will practice and believe. I believe based on my best knowledge and conviction, this is how we will practice a life of faith as, as believer, a body of believers. But you know what? I've, I'm not going to demonize anybody or, or dare I say break out the H word, heresy, if, if someone believes differently. So there's a lot of things. Armed guards come rushing in. They hold a gun to your head. Now, if they come rushing in and they say, renounce the divinity of Christ, well, now I've got a problem. 
can't let go of that. There's some things that we can't let go of. We don't, and the church has never let go of. So yeah, there's some things we'd have a big problem. But here's the thing I can't get over. If we know that, there's so many things that, you know, armed guards come rushing in to hold a gun to our head. We're not dying over those beliefs. Why in the world are we figuratively slaughtering brothers and sisters in Christ over them? How do we do that? There's a better way in this kingdom. I thought a lot about a good example for this, and kind of I know this probably raises a lot of questions, and we'll get to some of them in our rest of our time together. I know this, this doesn't seal every crack and nail down, but we'll, we'll get there. And I thought a lot about it, an example of this that wouldn't get me in trouble and that we could all kind of be on the same page about. So I came up with, with two Johns. Men, not bathrooms. I've got a picture of these guys. <laughs> two Johns. I bet a lot of you know these guys. I bet a lot of you study and read these guys. John Piper and John MacArthur. Now, these two guys, beloved pastors and teachers and authors, long track records, gospel ministry, uh, lots of studies out there. I see what you read and study on, on Facebook and social media. I know that a lot of you read and follow these guys. That's great. These two guys are completely at odds with one another around the idea of spiritual gifts. Completely at odds. John MacArthur's a cessationist. He looks at John Piper and says, you know what? You're not teaching what the Bible teaches around this issue. You're leading people astray you're feeding sensationalism and all the, the, the toxins that are coming with the world charismatic movement. You, you're, and basically, you're leading people astray when it comes to this issue of, of, of spiritual gifts, and you're not teaching the Bible, what the Bible says about it. Now, John Piper looks at John MacArthur and says, well, I disagree. You're not teaching the Bible. The clear commands of Scripture around spiritual giftings in the church and you're in danger of squashing the activity of the Spirit of God in the church today. You're not teaching what the Bible says about this. Now, neither, they both can't be right. One of them's wrong, right? These are exclusive ideas. They can't both be right. And they realize that about one another. And both of them would say, hey, this, this is important stuff. Important stuff. But what do they say about one another? I can tell you exactly what one says about the other. Each says about the other. I love that man. I love his heart. I love his character. I love his partnership in the gospel. And I love his long track record of ministering for the kingdom of God. There's a better way. Lord, we, we just, we need to die on the right hills, right? We need to die on the right hills. So how are we going to do that? Two resources I want to point you to this morning, just to get us started. How do we navigate then? What hills are we going to die on? What's, what's, what's the hills we're going to die on? What's the essentials? What's the non-essentials? Some of them are very easy, but then it gets fuzzy, right? So two, two resources, and they're both on our webpage. How about that? First, site, first page on our webpage, we have a doctrinal statement, a belief statement of what we believe here at Fellowship Bible Church. And this is what I know. If you go there, it's a lot of scripture. It'd be a great little Bible study to work through that. It's filled to the brim with all the essentials of Christianity. Everything 
that, again, it, the arm, passed the armed guard test, that like these are the things we could not recant and can't let go of as Christ followers. Now, there's a few things on there, too, that are super important about how we practice. But things that we wouldn't, again, demonize other, other, other denominations or traditions just because they don't do it exactly the same way, like Presbyterians and baptism. That, that's a, they, just, they do it a little differently, and they've got reasons, and they've got biblical reasons, but we would say, you know what, we don't, we don't agree with that. We're practicing how we are best convicted by Scripture to do that, but we're not looking at Presbyterians and say, hey, you bunch of heretics, stop doing that. We don't do that. No, no. No. So that's a good place to start. Second resource I want to point you to is even better than that one. It's our elder page. Now, I didn't come up with this. This isn't a fellowship Bible church thing. This is, prescri- this is prescribed by King Jesus himself for how the body of Christ works. Titus 1.9. The job description of pastors and elders is to hold firm to the trustworthy word as taught so that he may be able to give instruction in sound doctrine. The job description that God gave the people of God and elders and overseers is to oversee what we're doing in life of faith, belief, doctrine. I just wonder, you know, as we, as we look around our landscape and we got bloggers responding to rock stars, responding to mega authors, responding to mega pastors, all this stuff going on, and all these. I just wonder how many contentious, slanderous, tribalistic conversations and texts and, and Twitter posts and you name it. I wonder how many of those could have been avoided and all the damage done by those things. I wonder how many of those could have been avoided if the person just said, you know what, I'm struggling here. I'm going to go sit down with a trusted pastor and elder and ask, hey, help me think through this and work through this. I wonder. No tears, no networking, no tribalism in the kingdom of God. You can uh, close your Bible real quick for the moment. And I just want to close talking about one thing. I don't know how this will work, if this will hit you, if this will be helpful or what. So just try this on. If it doesn't work, you know, just rewind in your mind to this moment after those resources. But as I'm preparing this sermon, there's this famous church that kept coming to mind. Famous, influential church. If I said their name, you'd know who I was talking about. And this church, let's just say it's, it's very different than Fellowship. Its worship gatherings are probably best described as chaotic. One writer talking about them said that, so it, it described it as this general chaos reigning over their church services. I think the best descriptor that, that would mean something to you is they're extremely charismatic, not demonizing that at all. I'm just saying most of us would look at them and say, extremely charismatic and dare I say, really, I just would humbly say, dare I say, loose with spiritual gifts. Really loose. And that kind of adds into the whole chaos thing in their worship gatherings. I've read from a trustworthy, godly source about 
inside that it's a mess in the side. This, this man knows their people and knows their leaders and knows that this church is just a wreck with sexual sin and leadership's not addressing it. They're a wreck with, he said, you can, in their worship gatherings, people come in drunk. Leadership doesn't address it. In fact, the leadership itself is so divided and dividing his people. This, this church is splitting over leadership. Sad. Shocker, they've got a, a, some weird doctrines going through the church too. End times, Lord's Supper, all kind of, I mean, wild stuff that doesn't make sense. Doctrinally, they're, 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 they're floundering. So just as a thought exercise, just as a heart exercise, just pretend for a moment that, that you've got this church's ear, that for whatever reason you've got a voice with them. What do you say to them? Think about that a second. What do you lead with? A lot there. I don't know. As I, maybe this is just me. Maybe you're like me. I, I can't say my first thought would be grateful. Grateful for you guys. What the Lord's doing here. I praise God for you. I don't know that would be my first heart's reaction to these people. And yet, that is exactly what the Apostle Paul said to these people, to this church I'm talking about, the church at Corinth. He said this, I give thanks to my God always for you because of the grace of God that was given you in Christ Jesus, that in every way you were enriched in him in all speech and knowledge, even as the testimony about Christ was confirmed among you, so that you are not lacking any gift as you wait for the revealing of our Lord Jesus Christ, who will sustain you to the end, guiltless in the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. God is faithful by whom you were called into fellowship of his son, Jesus Christ, our Lord did Paul have a lot to correct? Absolutely. Did Paul have a lot to sort through? Absolutely. And he does. But I'm just so struck with the heart of this man. Who 10 years prior would have just assumed slaughter them where they stand. Changed by the gospel of grace. Now just wanting to offer a kind, gracious word to help them. The heart of the kingdom. Stand with me if you will. We're going to close in worship and singing. And if you're here on Wednesday night, we offered a time of confession together as the people of God. One thing we're asking as a church, and we'll be doing more of this, you'll be hearing more of this, is we're going to ask God for spiritual revival and renewal in our midst as a people. And that starts with, I'm not an expert at it, but I know it starts with two things. We can be sure it starts with extraordinary prayer an extraordinary confession, humbling ourselves before God to convict us of sin. And listen, so we're going to open that to this morning. And uh, there's this, this cross here in the middle of the room. And if you see so fit, you can move. Are there nails there, Mr. Chris? 
Yes. So you can go to this cross, and like the, like the hymn says, our sins are nailed to the cross, and we bear it no more. So let's take a moment as we're singing, and as Chris plays and leads us to sing us, let's just take a moment. Let me pray for us as we get into this.